The Google Podcast app is going away in April. Right now, I want you to take a look at the podcast app you're using right now. Maybe it's time for a new one. Check out podcastapps.com and try a new one for free right now. That's podcastapps.com. I'm Andrea Askowitz, and this is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. And I'm Allison Langer. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class. And we want to bring you in. This is episode 60, the first show in our seventh season. This season, we plan to bring you stories we love from various publications, editors who offer insight into how to get published on their sites, stories from our class, and stories our listeners submit to us. You'll also hear stories from Andrea and me. A shout out to Justina Chandler, whose song Pleasure's All Mine is the season's theme music. You may recognize her voice from last season. Justina's song Outer Space rocked the Andrea show. Check out the musicians page on writingclassradio.com to learn more about the amazing singer-songwriters who have shared their original music with us. Today on our show, we're talking about how to write about loss, specifically losing someone who dies. We'll bring you a story by Leslie Gray Streeter, whose essay originally appeared on Modern Loss, the online publication dedicated to normalizing the way we talk about loss. We'll also speak with Gabby Berkner, the editor and co-founder of Modern Loss, an editor of the book with the same name. She reveals her process of editing and publishing stories about loss, and we'll also speak about working with writers, who are often not only writing about a very difficult and personal topic, but also trying to submit stories for publication for the very first time. Leslie is a columnist for the Palm Beach Post. She has written extensively about entertainment and lifestyle issues, including the subject of loss. Her story coming up after a word from our sponsors. We're back. You're listening to Writing Class Radio. This is Andrea Askowitz. Here's Leslie Grace Streeter with her story, which was originally published in Modern Loss. Her story is called What I Did With My Husband's Life Insurance Money. I was a fairly melodramatic teenager. So any song about unrequited love and angst was catnip to me. One of my favorites was Midnight Confessions by The Grassroots, which I used to hear on the oldie station. It went, There's a little gold ring you wear on your hand Makes me understand There's another before me, you'll never be mine I'm wasting my time Thirty years later, I wear a little gold ring. And it connects me to my husband, Scott, the man who gave it to me. Well, technically, he gave it to me, but when I got it, he was already dead. In the summer of 2015, Scott had a heart attack and died in my arms. A few months earlier, the stone on the engagement ring, a tastefully pronounced pink topaz, clean popped out from its setting while I was running. Several retracings of my steps were not fruitful. Scott was horrified and wanted to run out immediately to replace it, but I told him not to sweat it. We had a baby, two car payments, and a lot going on. It was a symbol of the life we had, yes, but I didn't need that symbol just then. I still had my wedding band, and I still had Scott. It could wait until Christmas. 
But by Christmas, not only did I not have the fancy new ring, I didn't have Scott anymore. I'd lost the love of my life, the father of my child, and the person who watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer with me and heckled all of the other reindeer for their bullying. Scott once said, Santa was a dick. All I had left, aside from a confused toddler in a world of hurt, was a finger with an obvious tan line. No wait, I realized. I also had some insurance money. I didn't have enough to move carefree to convalesce in Aruba, but enough after paying the bills for a ring. Not a crazy Beyonce-level thing, but something grander than the one I'd forever lost. And since it was from Scott's insurance money, it was still from him. It was not how I wanted to get it, but I needed it. I felt cosmically compelled to acquire it. I couldn't give Scott everything he wanted in his life, including a longer one. But he was a guy who kept his promises, and buying that ring felt like helping him fulfill his final one. As I was handed my new ring by the man behind the Macy's counter, the one I usually bypassed on my way to the cheaper stuff, I wanted to snatch it from him in a way that might have gotten me tased. I felt like black gall on me all. It was the ring, my precious, and I had to have it. I slid it on. It fit. Welcome home, ring. For the first few months, when I was still untethered and so unmarried, I'd used it to deflect strangers who mistook my quiet, morose nature for playing hard to get. I would twist it compulsively around my finger to feel its smooth grooves and peaks, like a ritual, like a salve. I would breathe deeply, and I would feel Scott with me, even though his fingers had never touched it. Three Christmases had passed since I lost my Scott and gained that ring, and still I wear it. On the one-year anniversary of Scott's death, I moved it from my left hand to my right. I don't need it quite the way I used to, to help me breathe. Now breathing is easier. And I'll probably take it off soon, I guess. Maybe I'll even get another wing one day. But for the moment, this is my ring. When I touch it, it's still like Scott holding my hand. Not a luff like that, but it's something. Ugh, okay. Great ending. And um, I got to say, a good ending after writing about death is not easy. She says, I love this part, I moved the ring from the left hand to the right, which I thought was so sweet. And you can see that she's trying to move forward while still keeping Scott close. I just, I really love that part. Um, And her line, maybe I'll even get another ring one day. It shows hope, you know? I mean, it shows us the truth. Like, she's not ready yet, but it gives us hope. I love that. Basically, what she's revealing to us is that she's not ready. And to me, that feels so much more real. The ring feels like Scott, but it's not enough like Scott, but it's something. So you know she hasn't really moved on totally yet. But it's so real. It's not like, and I'm going to move on and I'm living happily ever after. She's, uh, I love how she ended it. And she's moving the ring, you know, but she is moving the ring from one side, you know, from one side to the next. So we see that she's open to it. But yeah, it's, it's painful. Her mind is knowing she needs to move on, but her heart is still not moving on yet. And that's what I love about this ending, because so many people try to end on like, hey, I'm a-okay. But she is telling us the truth, that she's not totally okay. And that is a, 
to me a really real ending. Oh my God, how many stories have we gotten where everybody's like, hey, and I, life is so great and I'm going to figure it out and don't worry. And I'm, But we don't need that in a story. We need the truth of where people are now, right now. And it's fine if it's not a happy place necessarily. We know that you're okay because you're writing the story. So we don't need you to hit us over the head with, hey, I'm okay, because then that just sounds fake. But if you're not okay, that's okay too. Yeah, absolutely okay. Every story doesn't have to land on a happy ending. Another thing Leslie does really well is she's not overtly sentimental. The emotion in this piece is high. I mean, she's dealing with the death of her husband. And then there's also this tendency that, that we see all the time in stories where someone will write with so much overblown, the language is overblown, it's sort of rococo, but you don't need to do that when you're writing about death. And Leslie really, she she did it. She gave us details. The details are simple. They're explicit. They say so much. She says, a baby, two car payments, and a lost ring. And with that, I'm totally drawn in. Up next, we have something really cool to share. We have a behind-the-scenes interview with the editor of Modern Loss, Gabby Berkner. We asked her what she's looking for in a story, what her editing process is, and why she started Modern Loss. We also asked Gabby to give advice to writers about how to write about loss and how to submit a story to Modern Loss. Here's Gabby. As you may know, on Modern Loss, our essays, our personal essays, tend to be focused around one aspect of living with loss rather than the whole arc of someone's grief journey. It doesn't uh, necessarily start at the point of death and move to today. Um, and because, and the reason for that is we run short and narrowly focused essays because it's really hard to tell your whole, the whole arc of your grief journey in, say, a thousand words. Um, and Leslie's piece is a really great example of talking about one aspect of her grief story and also, part of modern loss is about breaking down the taboo around talking about death. Um, and Leslie's um, actually touches on a double taboo, which is death and money. And it was really, I thought, a great way to talk about losing her husband, talk about something a lot of people can relate to, like something tangible. Um, and it was funny because we like to talk about grief in the way we talk about life because it's so much a part of life. I loved how she integrated um, humor into her piece, whether it was saying Santa was a dick or um, saying that um, it wasn't kind of any Beyonce level thing. She talked in um, the way we talk to our friends and it feels conversational in a way that a lot of resources for people who are living with loss um, out there do not. In general, it can be harder to edit content about the worst thing that has ever happened to someone. I'm a journalist and there's a phrase that a lot of journalists say when an editor tells them they need to get rid of phrases that are maybe the journalists love, but are overly florid or don't work in some way. Even if the phrase sounds beautiful to you, you say, kill your darlings. In this case, their darlings are already dead. So I think it does take more care in general 
when you're giving feedback to someone. And, you know, and I guess I expect a little more pushback sometimes when they say, this is really important. This is a part of my story. And, um, you know, I respect that. And I try to work through, through it with them in a way that they feel like it's their authentic voice, that is true to their story. I feel like there's value in everyone telling their story, everyone writing their story if they feel compelled to do so. That doesn't mean that we're necessarily going to publish it, but I, that it necessarily is a good fit for our site. It may be because we've had a lot of stuff on that topic. It might be just it doesn't work. It might be because the way someone wants to tell their story and honor their journey and their loved one is in that whole arc of their grief story. That is totally valid. Um, it doesn't necessarily work for what we publish on Modern Loss. When I was 24, having graduated from college a couple years earlier, I was working as an obituary writer at a local newspaper because that's where I got my start in newspapers. Um, I got the news that my father and stepmother had been murdered in a robbery in Sedona, Arizona. The perpetrator was someone that a local plumbing company had sent them when they had a frozen pipe that winter. At that point, he cased the house and then came back, um, apparently intending only to rob them, but ended up killing them both. And this was my father, who I spoke with every day, and my stepmother, who would help raise me from the time I was seven on. So in one moment, you know, my life changed so dramatically. My friends were 24, and they really were wanted to show up for me, but understandably didn't know how. Most of them hadn't lost parents, let alone known anyone who had been murdered. So Rebecca and I met, Rebecca Sofer, who's my co-founder of Modern Loss, and I met at a friend's dinner party in 2007. And our friend had gathered a bunch of women in their 20s and early 30s who had all lost parents as teens or young adults. So we're all missing one or more parents. I remember for the first time at that dinner party, like breathing a sigh of relief. Like, like I could tell my story. I could talk about my loss. I could talk about things other than my loss in a way that the loss was a, a backdrop that everyone understood. We call that dinner party WWDP, Women with Dead Parents. Just about 10 years after my father and stepmother were killed, Rebecca and I launched this site. The funny thing is, like, when we were launching it, people would be like, hey, what are you guys up to these days? And we'd be like, we're working on this site about death and loss. And people would sort of, like, slowly back away and look at us like we were super creepy. But um, it was incredibly gratifying to see it out in the world and to see that people who got it really got it. And I feel like at this point, it's, you know, it's not just a website. It is a community of people. Loss is complicated. Loss is messy. And um, my, I would encourage people to really go there. You know, really try to be authentic to yourself and your story. Um, and I would say you don't have to talk about loss in a very circumscribed way. When we launched our website at the end of 2013 with a piece called My Dead Husband, the Serial Adulterer, 
So sometimes people are afraid to speak ill of the dead or to wrestle with the complicated feelings, like perhaps a caregiver who um, who struggles with the complicated feelings they have at the end of their loved one's life. Um, we really try to say there, there's no taboo in talking about that. Um, I hate, I like, it's like so freaking lame to quote yourself, but if I... <laughs> There's a line in the book in our at the end of our secrets chapter. It was like, we're imperfect people mourning imperfect people imperfectly. Our site gives social permission to do that and to say like, they don't need to be perfect to be loved, to be honored, to be remembered, to be written about. And when you do that writing, that writing can be true to your story. It doesn't have to be it doesn't have to turn them into a a saint that they weren't. Like, we love humans. We don't love saints. Like, sometimes the most humanizing characteristic when you meet someone and you're just getting to know someone is when they tell you their vulnerabilities, when they tell you, you know, the things that they don't do perfectly. It's, like, incredibly humanizing. And, And the same thing for for the people we've lost. It's, my advice would be to honor your story in all its complexities because people are complicated and loss is complicated. And stories are going to read more authentically. They're going to read more casually, conversationally, unfold naturally if you are writing from a place of your own truth. Writing the truth, like Gabby said, is exactly what we believe at Writing Class Radio. It is so hard to get the truth out there. It really is. People come to our class and they're writing. And by the end of their story, many times people stop working on it. It gets too real, too hard. And it's it's definitely a really hard process. And how many times have we seen like re- people completely evolve? They come to our class, they're balled up, curled up, suffocating, and they write their stories. And the next thing you know, they want to be part of the community. They want to come back, and they they never want to leave. Oh yeah, yeah. It's like a birth for them. It's a birth for us. Yeah, there's you're something right. about it. Just getting your secrets out there, getting your stories out there, and having people really know you and still love you. I mean, yeah. that's a fucking cool thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're talking about how great it is for the writer of the story. Yeah. And it and it makes the truth is what makes a reader want to read the story. And and when we talked to Gabby, she definitely said that she gets a lot of stories. They get a lot of submissions, but the things that really hit her the most were the truth, the whole cold hard truth with sort of a different take. Are you talking about how we the thing about writing the truth about a dead person that might not be flattering? Is that what you mean? No, I mean, that's something. But I just think like my my personal story about loss, losing my daughter is like that was the hardest one to tell. And it was the hardest one to get out. But it was the one that sort of cleared the way for all my other stories and for the real me to sort of evolve. Which reminds me of what Gabby said, which is the difficulty of just writing one part of your story and not your whole entire life story or like in your case every time you write a story you feel like you have to tell the entire story about losing your daughter 
Yeah. I mean, it's it took me like how many eight years to figure that out? I kept writing these long stories with every tangent possible. But I'm like, no, this is important. This is important. It's important to me. But it wasn't important to that story. Right. But what I'm what we want to definitely get out there, uh, you know, to the listener is that it's too hard to process an entire life story with all aspects of your life in one short essay. It's just too much. So really, really need to focus on just this one small segment of your life. So take one instance and blow that out. And in, and in um, the case of Leslie, she took the instance of her ring. It's a story about wanting that ring and getting that ring from her husband's life insurance policy. It's not the life. It's not their love story. It's not all of it. And we didn't hear about, like, the birth of their child and how much is that important. We never heard anything else. Like, yes, she has a child. Right. That's thrown in there. One thing I love about Modern Lost, the website, is how it gives people permission to be vulnerable and to tell the truth. I mean, the ugly truth about dead people. Yeah. I mean, that's hard because we want to make them into saints. Yeah. And that's what Gabby said. We love people. We don't love saints. We've seen that so many times. And one thing to remember as a writer is that you're writing a story. You're not writing a eulogy. (laughs) Yeah. Tell the truth. Make your characters well-rounded. Tell the good and the bad because people are good and bad. And that's what makes people likable. I don't want to hear all all the good stuff because then I'm like... Jesus, I don't even like this person. They're like too good. Exactly. Yeah. No, we bond with people who have flaws. So, you know, bottom line, if you're trying to get your story out into the world, be honest. And here's one other thought I wanted to um, reiterate that, that Gabby mentioned, which is that writing is important no matter whether or not it gets published. So keep writing, Writing Class Radio listener. Keep writing. And submit. Make sure you submit. Best way to learn. On modernloss.com, you'll find personal essays about loss. They also have resources like how to deal with the holidays, how to go back to work after loss, and other how-tos. They have a book called Modern Loss, which readers have described as a support group in book form. To submit, go to modernloss.com and follow the guidelines. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Leslie Gray Streeter, for sharing your story and Gabby Berkner for coming on our show and giving us a little insight on how to write about loss and also how to get published in Modern Loss. For anyone affected by loss and who hasn't been, go to modernloss.com to read all their stories. Writing Class Radio also wants your story. Send us your best true personal essay. We pay between $50 and $100. Go to our website, writingclassradio.com. Hit the submissions tab for our guidelines. Then, before you submit, listen to a bunch of our episodes to get a sense of what we air. Being familiar with style and content will up your chances in getting published in any publication. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Justina Chandler. And additional music by Poddington Bear. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at The Launchpad at the University of Miami. This episode is sponsored by the podcast Made Visible, which brings invisible illness to light. And it's also sponsored by me, Allison Langer. If you're looking for an editor, email me at allison at writingclassradio.com. I'd love to help. There's more writing class on our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, stories to study, and editing resources. Contact us at info at writingclassradio. If you love this show and enjoy all the extras on our website, hit the support us button. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday, so look for us. There's no better way to understand ourselves 
and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have faults. He had the same amount of faults as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know? And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.